Yo, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Satsung Podcast. Uh, we had a little two-week hiatus. Um, we went to Paradise Valley and made you guys a new record, and I can't wait to share it with you. It was really, really good to see the boys again. Um, yeah, we had the whole squad. Manager came up. Um, Grayson was out there taking pictures and videos, so we got all sorts of dope content for you guys. But happy to be back. Happy to get the podcast rolling again. I have some unfucking believable guests uh, in the coming weeks. And the first episode back is with Mr. Jason Shreve. He is a professional baseball player. He has played for the Braves, the Cardinals, the Yankees, and now the Mets. I'm sure I missed a team. He's played for like 17 freaking baseball teams. They bounce him around like you wouldn't believe. But we get into that. We talk about the current state of politics and extremism and social media. It's funny. Uh, we never talked before and we dove right in. We got really, really deep. So, um, yeah. Um, I hope that you guys understand when I talk about stuff that I'm approaching it as nuanced as possible. And that I don't really have an agenda other than finding truth. Um, so I might say things that seem triggering. Trigger. Everybody's triggered. Um, but I'm just trying to get to the fucking truth of the matter, you know? So sometimes I say things that are conflicting because I don't, I don't fucking know, man. Um, I surely don't believe the news, that's for sure, but, um, anywho, Chasen's a great dude, um, and a phenomenal athlete, and it was really interesting to not only dive deep with him about all of this other different current events shit, but to hear about how crazy it is to be a professional baseball player, it is unlike any other sport I've ever heard, um, but, anywho, uh, welcome back, you guys, uh, as always, make sure you share, subscribe, Yada yada yada. Anyway, here's Chasen. Thanks, honey. Chasen, welcome to the Satsung Podcast. How are you today, dude? Good man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I'm stoked. You were the first um non-combat sports professional athlete that's been on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm glad to be here. So it's tell to get, get our talking, you know. Yeah, man. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you do. Okay. Um, my name is Jason Shreve. I uh, play Major League Baseball. I've played in the big league since 2014. I got called up. Originally, I got drafted by the Atlanta Braves. I got called up with them. Uh, that offseason, got traded to the Yankees. Spent four, three and a half years with the Yankees before getting traded to the Cardinals. And then uh, signed a free agent deal. <laughs> Why shaking your head to the Cardinals? Oh, no, just like, it's just amazing how many teams you've played for in six years. Oh, yeah. That's great. But yeah, I am from yeah, Chicago, so there was actually oh, a little head shake there, there when you said the Cardinals. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I signed a free agent deal with the Mets this year. So this is my first year with the Mets. Me and my wife are back in New York, so we're excited and happy. That's awesome. Where are you from? I'm from Las Vegas, born and raised. Oh, crazy. And then she is from New Jersey. We met when I was playing um, for the Yankees, so she's good to be back, back home everything dude so i've always wondered how that works because that particularly with baseball football and basketball you see that all the time right you just named like 
five teams in six years. Yeah. So, so are you kind of, how does that work that you just are like kind of at the beck and call? Does the MLB just call you or your agent just calls you and is like, yo man, this just happened, pack your shit? Literally, so when I was with the Braves, I finally made up to the big leagues, like every boy's dream to finally make it. I was up for like six weeks and then the season ended. I go into the, the off season, like stoked, obviously. Um, had a New Year's party. That next day, New Year's Day, I get a call from a Georgia number. I was like, oh, like this is, this is weird, you know? Answer it. It's our GM saying I got traded to the Yankees. I was laying in bed, like exhausted from the night before. I was just like blown away. And then that day I was just with the Yankees. And then I go to the spring training with them. And then there's a trade deadline where you can't make trades after a certain date. And I think it was like two days before the deadline. And after the game at Yankee Stadium, I get called in the office and like, hey, we traded you to the Cardinals for this person. Um, and like, that's really it. Like, I said, thank you for like everything you guys have done. Called my wife, called my agent, had that next day to pack up our apartment. And the next day we were in St. Louis. So it happens just like that. You just uproot your life and just gone wherever they, wherever they send you. So it's, it's a lot. <laughs> like Dude, I've been so used to it. Yeah. I'm that's so, used so to crazy. I've been doing it for so long, but it's, it's, it's a lot. So there isn't, so unless you sign a contract that says like, okay, this is a five-year deal with this team, you're pretty much always like in the back of your head, like kind at any point yeah. in time, they could just change your whole life. Well, the thing is you can even get traded. You can even get traded signing a 10-year deal. So like if you sign like a $10, $100 million deal and you don't have a no trade clause in your contract, you can get traded anytime. So it's, it's yeah, it's always in the back of your head, especially like, Living in New York, it's you know it's expensive to live here. You got to make a lot of adjustments coming from like Las Vegas to here, um, and then all of a sudden you can just have to leave it all behind and and go somewhere else. Meet a whole whole new team. Leave leave your buddies. There's yeah, a there's actually imagine. a video of yeah there's actually a video of when I got traded from the Yankees to the Cardinals, which I'd been with the Yankees for the longest, so I knew all the guys, uh, loved all the guys over there. And there's a video I got traded found out called my wife came back in the locker room saw one of my best friends that i've played with for four years he like just heard that i got traded so we like hug he starts crying i start crying and i literally walk in the door and there's 15 cameras waiting for my my like uh interview for getting traded and i just start like crying <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah dude yeah um, so like there's an interview on me like just holding back tears like just so sad to be traded and leaving all my leaving all my friends yeah that is crazy i've never talked to someone that's actually been in that world and i've always wondered if it is that crazy and that is absolutely nuts that it is really that way <laughs> yeah yeah it is well you hear about it and but it, it's but it's like i i know a guy that played pro football and oh, I've met a few pro football players and every single one of them. Yeah. When you're like, who'd you play for? They always rattle off like seven or eight teams. And you're just like, wow, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a lot. Like, yeah, everybody's mixing. You wish you could just stay, like stay in everybody's, everybody's team. But yeah, I don't, it's just the way, like for, for example, the Mets just got signed a, um, or just sold the team. So there's gonna be a whole new owner next year. So like 
depending on what he wants to do, hopefully we come back, you know, but you never know what, what the new owner is going to do and who he hires and what their plan will be. So it's always, it's always mixing it up. And Man, that's crazy. Yeah. I thought my life was nuts because we bounced from city to city every <laughs> night, but at least I know where I'm going at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's uh, baseball been like uh, post COVID? It's been okay. It's been a lot quieter with no fans. Yeah, I, I bet. Um, a lot of protocol. So we're always having, having to wear masks unless you're on the field. Um, I'll just go through like a normal day. We, you wake up, you get a um, notification on your phone to fill out like a form. And then you have to take your temperature twice and um, fill out this form and send it into them before you even get to the field. Then you get to the field, you get your temperature checked twice. You have to sign in with this new like MLB um, thing and then like credential. And then you have to answer like 15 questions again before you can even go into the clubhouse. And then every other day we get tested. So like yesterday we got tested. So you walk into the testing room, we have to like spit into this, this tube basically. Um, and that's really like the, the biggest part of COVID, but really like we've gotten so used to it. Like nobody's the locker room so spread out. Like they've had to bring in extra lockers. Um, and then like other places, like we went to Boston early and Boston's such an old stadium that the visiting clubhouse is so tiny that we didn't even use the clubhouse because there's no fans. We were in the concourse of the stadium and they just kind of blocked it off with fences and, and made, made a locker room that way just so everybody could be six feet apart. Um, so that was weird. That was super weird, especially being in Fenway, like in the concourse, getting ready for a game, like walking out of the shower and you know, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, and the travel's difficult. You know, we have to wear a mask 24 seven, even double masks on the plane. Um, we're all, like staggered so we can try to be six feet apart. Um, we usually have two buses. We have six buses, I believe now, just so everybody can, everybody can be six feet apart. Um, what else is different? No fans, obviously. The no fans thing is weird. They, have, they play fan noise over the, the speakers, so it kind of sounds normal. But besides that, I mean – and That's the Mets so actually, weird. yeah, it is weird. And it's like, and they've gotten pretty good at it. So like if the home team gets a hit, the fans cheer or a big play happens, the fans cheer. The fans actually started booing the other day. I don't remember what, what happened, but yeah, the, the artificial fans started booing whatever happened. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been crazy, man. Dude, I haven't had, you know, in Montana, it's just like a, it's a bit different than the rest of the world. Right. And I'm obviously not playing baseball or in a situation like you where I'm like being tested all the time. And it's just like at the forefront of my mind all the time, but you got to just have these moments where you're like, what the fuck is he, what are we even doing? You know, like I remember early on, dude, um, I was going to a grocery store. I had just got done training. Um, and I had hit my hash pen and I was in the grocery store have the mask on and then like over the speakers there was this like please remember to maintain social distancing you know this like public service <laughs> right. announcement and i was like we're in like this fucking post-apocalyptic movie <laughs> you know like it oh, was so seriously weird. seriously um 
in New York, it's been pretty good. I mean, the city's pretty dead just because I think a lot of people have got, kind of gone away since they don't need to work. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be watching TV. Like I was watching some uh, about Justin Timberlake the other day and after his concert, he was like giving every, like all the people of his band, like hugs and stuff. I'm like, Oh man, that's so weird. You know, like we haven't done that in so long. Um, we're just kind of getting used to it now. I feel like, especially us, we have to maintain protocol for, for, I mean, what's it been like three months now every day. And we have, there's MLB personnel making sure we stay six feet apart and making sure we have our masks on all the time. Um, so yeah, you said it like post-apocalyptic, like just watching the news and stuff. It's just like, it's something you see have a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Just I'm wondering, I'm wondering how long it's going to go on, man, because I, I really believe we're going to get to a place next year where people are going to be like, either everyone is going to be on team. I don't give a shit anymore. Mm -hmm. Or it's just going to be like, okay, cool. If I have to wear a mask to go to a concert, then that's what I'll do. If I have to wear a mask to go to a baseball game, then that's what I'm going to do. Like, right. You know, uh, I just don't see Americans uh, riding this train much longer. You know, we're quick to forget about things. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, and and it's yeah, it's just like, um, I don't know about you, but I've had a whole bunch of friends get it. Um, oh, really? Okay. All over the country, and yeah, I guess you know most of my friends are pretty healthy. My bass player got it, and he had a pretty rough go, um, but he had some sort of autoimmune thing that they figured out, which was making it real rough on him. But everyone I know, hmm. man, it's been like. It's either been like a two, three, or three day ordeal. Um, I've had a bunch of friends that are jujitsu athletes that were going to compete and tested positive and didn't even know they had it. And we're like, oh, okay, I guess I can't. Yeah, compete. I had a couple of friends. I had a couple of friends test positive and not even know they had it. Yeah, and then even my friends that were like, um, my old drummer got it, and he was like, yeah, man, it sucked. You know, it was like five days. It really sucked, but here I am. Um, and I think the more that the data comes out that most people that are taking care of themselves are going to be okay. I think, I just think healthy people are going to start being like, fuck this dude. I got to go to baseball games. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I got to do something. I got to get yeah. out of the house. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, we had a couple guys on the team, get it some, some before the season started, some during the season, uh, we had two tests positive when we were in Miami about a month ago, which, which is scary because they shut down the whole season or the, the whole like, Shut down series? that series. I think we shut down the next series with the Yankees as well. So we didn't play for like five days straight, and they tested us every single day. I woke up at my house, drove to the field, tested, drove back, and we had to quarantine. Um, luckily, we only had those two positive tests, so we got to play the next like five days from them. But um, the Marlins had like 14 people test positive, and they didn't play for like two weeks, and they had to make up all those games. So they're playing – 35 games in 28 days you know like just double header double header after double header and it's it's been crazy the mets haven't had it that bad but yeah the cardinals got a lot of got i think 11 tested positive marlins were bad so well i just wonder again dude i'm not into the you know the whole conspiracy theory thing or anything like that but i wonder if like of those 14 people how many of them were completely okay for sure. 
all yeah. 14 of them, you know? So I just, I wonder, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard, man, because it's, um, it's a touchy thing. Cause it's, we have to figure out like where compassion meets, uh, logic, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, but then you hear, then you hear those stories. My wife had a friend from high school. He was 20, 29, I believe. And mm -hmm. he, he died from it perfectly healthy, man. So he so passed been, away from it. So, and that's, what's so weird is there's gotta be, I'm just excited for more data. Cause there's gotta be like a blood type. Cause there is those crazy rare cases where someone's completely healthy and just gets wrecked. You know, like right. my, um, my bass player, um, you know, it took him like three months to recover and he's still on an inhaler, but he was like running Jeez. three, four miles a day. Um, right. Like super healthy guy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's what it's, yeah, it's so wild because it's like, and it seems to be, I don't know about there, but in Montana, like when I'm walking around Costco and stuff like that, it's like the least healthy looking people that aren't wearing masks and don't give a shit. So I'm just like, all right, well, if these guys don't give a shit, at what point right. do we all stop giving a shit? You know, the people who should care, the people that are at risk or whatever, they, they don't care. Yeah, I got you, man. Dude, I just read this real fucking crazy thing yesterday. It was a study that they were doing at Yale University. Um, I'll, I'll send it to you when we're done. But it was essentially a psychiatric, you know, type test where they were seeing, they were canvassing people, Americans above the age of 18, of how they could talk them into getting a vaccine. And there was like 17 different ways, right? Where it was like, um, you know, guilt, social pressuring, uh, <laughs> you know, community care, like just all of these different things of like. Of why you should get, get one. Yeah and, yeah, and what would be the deciding thing that would help them convince people to do it? And this was Yale uh, University. So they were like literally trying to gather data on how to convince people to get a vaccine and what is the most effective way to convince people to do that. And when I see shit like that, dude, I just, I don't even know what to think anymore, man. The world is just a total warp zone right now. Have you watched The Social Dilemma yet? It's on Netflix? I just watched it yesterday unbelievable like mm -hmm. the, what you just said and you're like i don't know what to believe anymore i'm even further past that now like just the way they talk about like the google searches and how it's how it literally shows like what you want to see and like that's why everybody's separating and that's why everybody is so left or right and it's it's so scary I, man what was weird to me was when i went into it the first like 30 minutes of it i was like yeah no of course yeah they're gathering data so they can sell us stuff right but when they start getting into like how long you're pausing on images and that all of this is stored, like you have your own right. little profile somewhere where they know exactly what to feed you, how to sell to you. Um, it's, it's insane. Yeah. I would love to see my data because I literally look at, you know, like I listen to Ben Shapiro and then I'll listen to the young Turks in the same day. Just because I want to get, you know, I want to hear like what both right. both sides takes are on it. Um, dude, but I keep coming back to this thing uh, that the most revolutionary action that we can take is just be kind to every single person we encounter. For sure. And we've lost that. There's some sort of civility that has like disappeared. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, people in power and leaders uh, that are almost speaking against civility. And this idea that anyone that doesn't think like you is your enemy. Um, yeah, that's, that's the big problem, I think, 
It's because everybody's like, oh, this is what I believe. If you don't believe me, you're stupid, you know? Yep. Yeah, which it's, it's such a wild thing because I like, I keep thinking back to, uh, you know, post 9-11 when Bush was president and how much I disagreed with him and how much people I knew disagreed with him. Mm-hmm. There was never this, if you're a Bush supporter, fuck you. If you're a John Kerry supporter, right. fuck you. There wasn't, that right. wasn't the tone. You know, it was like, people just got on a lot better and it was like, okay, well, let's just not talk about things we know we don't agree on then. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're so right. And, and after watching this social dilemma, it's like, I'm starting to get why it's this way or this way and not, not in the middle anymore. It's, it's scary. When I watched that, I was, I was like, wow, this is insane. Like we need to do, there's need to be, there's need to be laws or something against this, you know, like they talk about it on there. Like there's no laws against any social networking, what they can and can't do really. Um, yeah. I think the, the fear is, um, is once we start, uh, legislating the thought economy that it's like, where does that stop and start and, you know, it becomes like a slippery slope. And what's so funny, dude, is how many millions of people uh, watch that documentary and then still have a Facebook and Instagram and are just like, yeah, well, whatever. You know? <laughs> For sure. It's like everybody but, else is doing it. I'm going to do it. Yeah, exactly. But hopefully everyone's <laughs> hip to the fact like, um, you know, it becomes hip to the fact that like, okay, cool. A lot of the stuff that I'm seeing is is curated for me. It's not. And that's my thing. I could care less if they're, they're collecting data to, to sell me on stuff and, and to show me more stuff that they think I want to see. It's more the fact that like, when I want to learn about something, I want to learn about both sides or all the facts and, and get my own opinion of it. So like if I'm Googling something and I'm for it, they're only going to show me stuff that, supports my 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 belief and then i want to learn the other side that's yeah. what's scary to me it's like i want to know why people love trump and why people hate trump and i'll make my own you know like i don't want because of what i've searched previously to dictate what i what i'm trying to look up that's yeah. what scares me and that's why everybody's so left or right yeah i agree man and it's a really interesting thing because i Perfect example, man. So I'm a huge fan of this man named Tim Kennedy. He is a former UFC fighter, Green Beret. Um, just, uh, just a phenomenal American. And um, I have always been very pro, let's cut military spending and reallocate those funds to do X, Y, and Z. And he was just on Rogan. And he was talking like as a Green Beret, he was like, well, during the Obama administration, when they cut funding at the beginning of his time there, we had ISIS and all of these different terrorist organizations hiding in the mountains. And they were so far from civilization. They were scared to come out because they knew we would light them up. And what happened just with the small cuts that Obama made, he was like, we would be like, okay, cool. Well, this this group and this group have now converged and we have data that says they're going to go take over this village. And if they get that village, then it's game on. And here's the amount of guys I need and here's the supplies that I need and we can stop this tomorrow. And them being like, well, you can have a third of that. And him being like, okay, well, as a special forces commander, I can't go into a mission with a third of what I need because we will die. 
And then, you know, him just talking about over the course of those eight years, Obama did some phenomenal things, but even with his minuscule military cuts, ISIS was like going all over the Middle East. They took over Syria. They were taking over countries, you know, and putting helpless people, you know, under extremist law. And he's like, this is the sort of shit that we don't think about when we think of military spending, we think of fighter jets and all that. But it's like, until you hear it from a special forces commander, it's like, we just don't know. And we don't get those opinions often. For sure. Um, I, I obviously relate a lot of stuff to baseball, but like my dad and my, my father-in-law are huge fans. Like they watch every game. And then when I talk to them after the game, they talk about stuff that like doesn't even matter. But because I'm so entwined in baseball, and I see it every day and we talk about it every day and it's all we know. It's like the stuff that people on the outside are thinking don't, doesn't even matter. You know, it's, and I think everything now is such a gray area. Like there's no right answer. Like, Oh yeah, you can cut the, sounds great to cut funding to the military to do this, this, and this, but on the flip side of it, it's not great, you know? So it's like, there's no, there's no right answer to a lot of things. Yeah, and it's it's really wild to me the uh, the choices that we keep settling on when it comes to who's going to run the free world. Because I'm like, you know, the joke that I keep making that uh, Tim Kennedy and I have actually had some some back and forths on Instagram because I tagged him in a post and was like, "Run for president, dude! Like, what the fuck?" <laughs> you know, and I keep joking like, "Man, if only America had a system where we could put people under high stress and people that have been proven leaders." during these high stress things keep getting promoted, you know? Right. And it's like, oh yeah, we do. We have four fucking different branches of that exact system. You know, we have admirals, generals, you know, people that graduated West Point with 4.0s that have seen war, that have led from all angles of, of the American experience. And we have a reality TV show host and we have a guy whose brain is literally melting in front of us. You know, it, <sighs> It's really, it's really hard to know it's, what to do, you know? A, it's a weird time. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I agree. Um, I, and if you don't mind me touching base on this, I listened to the podcast when you had your wife, wife on. Um, yeah. And just all about mental health. I mean, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think really people, people, people are starting to hear about it, but I don't think people realize how serious it is. Um, it's just, you can tie a lot of stuff back, like what we're doing, like what you're seeing on the news that I think mental, mental health stuff, you know, uh, it's just a thought I had that I, that popped into my head. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. It's like, um, you know, it used to be such a form of, uh, like a signaler of weakness. If you were to speak sure. out about, um, any mental health stuff, you know, and I know for me, I used to always go, like I would look at people that were more successful than me and always be like, how the hell are you depressed when you're selling 2000 tickets a night? Right. You know, like how the hell could that even be real? And then, you know, I had, I used to always say, you know, if I could just get on some big tours, um, you know, and get, get my residual income up to where I could take care of my family, then, you know, I'd be so happy. Well, we did two right. national tours with Franti and Trevor Hall and like my whole dreams came true in 2017. And by the fall of 2017, dude, I was the most depressed I'd ever been. I didn't think I wanted to play music anymore. I 
you know, martial arts saved my life. Really? I, yeah, I took six months off and I was like, I don't know if I want to come back. Um, and then through training, you know, and just some of the relationships I made in the gym, you know, this resounding thing of like, yeah, man, well, when you have a talent or a gift, you have a responsibility to go back. So it's, sure. it's bigger than you, you know? Yeah, I've, I've come across a lot of people that have millions of dollars in the bank that are just miserable every single day, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, it's I weird. always say, I always tell, you know, my kids, if money was it, famous people wouldn't have addiction problems and kill themselves. For sure. You know, For sure. you, can't, you can't rub money on mental health. You can't rub money on, uh, on addiction. Um, and again, I think it comes back to this, like, like the way we're seeing, you know, the far left. Like what I see is a bunch of people that are angry and misunderstood on the on far left and far right that have never whether it's not going to therapy or just not having an outlet to talk about their sadness and anger and feelings mm -hmm. they've been given a an enemy right if if you are on the far left then your enemy is trump supporters they're fascists and they want to take over this country and they're going to destroy everything and if you're on the far right, it's people on the left, they're burning buildings down, they hate the police. You know, it's just so easy to pump whatever narrative. And I, I did an experiment um, with some friends of mine, or not even an experiment, but when that, um, when that kid went to Kenosha to the protest and shot those three people, mm -hmm. I wrote a far right version of that story and a far left version of the story. And I sent it to my bandmates and my managers. And I was just like, see how easy this is An American, yeah. an American hero goes into a city to defend it from the far left and is brutally attacked by protesters and uses a second amendment to defend himself or a psychotic Trump supporter goes into a crowd and opens fire on strangers. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's that easy. And this is like, this is how our news cycle works. For sure. Did you, uh, with the whole social dilemma thing, did you see that MIT did that study that fake news travels, spreads six times faster than real news? It's just like people just want to hear what supports them. And then that just spreads like wildfire. It's not, it's not the facts. So yeah, it's, it's a scary world in it. Like when you start thinking about stuff like that, it's like, how, how do you know what to believe anymore? Yeah, what do you think is going to happen after the election if, um, let's say, if Trump gets reelected, what do you think will happen? My dad won't be happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I honestly don't know because, I, I mean, I have a lot of friends that are either or, you know. Same. Um, I, have a, I have a buddy that, that loves him. He has a small business. Like, he's gotten a lot of tax breaks. Like, he loves him, and I have other people that, that don't. Um, I don't know what's going to happen on that front, but I'm very interested to see what's going to happen when we come out after the election, when we come out of the COVID, what's going to happen to the economy. Cause like right now, I don't know if you follow the stock market a lot, but it's, it's starting to fall, but it's super high. Like yep. they're, they were recording record highs and 
there's what 13 million people that are unemployed right now or something like that. So that's what I'm more interested to see after the election, after they stop pumping trillions of dollars into the economy to see what happens then. That's scary to me. I hope, I hope it all evens out and everything's okay, but. Yeah. From a, from a social aspect, I'm concerned that if Trump gets reelected that we'll see the far left use it as another excuse to go batshit crazy and set shit on fire and break shit. And then on the other end, I'm scared if Joe Biden gets elected, I don't, as crazy as it sounds, uh, I don't see, I see a lot of Trump supporters being really pissed, you know, but I don't see them like destroying property and getting crazy. Um, right. But yeah, I'm quite concerned about, um, what a Joe Biden presidency looks like as well. You know, like I just, both of these guys, I just am like, I feel like there's just a gun to my head where it's like, all right, dude, you got to choose, you know, a kick in the nuts or a it's punch to the It's kind of like last election, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like last, last election. Like, there, like if Obama could have ran again, I feel like he definitely would have won, you know? Like, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I'm not too into politics, honestly. I, I just want somebody that, is a good person that's going to try to run our country the best they can, you know? Yeah. It's funny. I, I combat a lot. I have some friends that are Trump supporters and they're like, he doesn't have to be a good guy. Cause he does X, Y, and Z and he's a good businessman and yada, yada. And I'm like, dude, one of the most important things of being a leader is the ability to have tact and uh, to bite your tongue and to not say whatever it is you're thinking, to not cause panic. Um, like these are just, I'm a big uh, Jocko Willink fan. I don't know if you're familiar with Jocko. Mm -hmm. um, he has this phenomenal book called The Dichotomy of Leadership. Um, and I've kind of used it as a Bible. Um, and yeah, to me, I think some of the most important aspects of being an effective leader is not just saying whatever the hell you're thinking and not being emotional and not um, right. belittling people and leading by example. And people can love or hate Obama. I don't know how you would hate Obama, but I think he was the most presidential dude that we've President. ever had in office. <laughs> you know, the most, I, th I think of when there was the government shutdown and the only time that I ever saw him like almost lose his shit was like the filibuster keep happening and then they shut the you know he couldn't get anything passed because the republicans kept blocking it mitch mcconnell kept just like you know blocking his shot and he almost said the f word you know he like loosened his tie and he was like the people in this country have trusted us to do a job we're just trying to pass some some legislature you know like he, said, he, said, <laughs> he stopped himself and it's just like i you know that's what we got to do man and i just I hope that things like that documentary, The Social Dilemma, I hope people just start waking up to the, the reality that we're 99.9% .9 the same and that that 0.1% is what makes the world interesting. For sure. Um, yeah. So what does the rest of your guys' season look like? Like how many games do you have left? So uh, let me backtrack a little bit. So. Um, MLB season is 162 games. It's a yeah. huge schedule. It's, it's spread out over, you know, we're gone for eight months a year. Um, and we play 162 games in 182 days. 
So like we have one, two, maybe three off days a month. Um, so when I talk to people that like don't really know baseball, they're like, Oh, like you guys can take any trips during the season or, or, or go do this. I'm like, Nope. <laughs> like we're either at the field at, you know, one to 11 every day. Um, uh, we have a couple off days a month. Um, this, this year has kind of been the same. I think we played 60 games in 66 days or something, something like that. Um, we have seven games left, so it's almost over. Um, we, we probably won't make playoffs. We have a chance. Um, I think we have to win out and the, the people above us have to, to lose, lose yeah. every game they play. So it's not looking good. Um, but like I said, my wife is from here, so we're going to hang out here after the season and, and um, her parents have a beach house down down the shore, so we're gonna go hang out on the beach. And I really want to check out upstate. I've never been to upstate in the fall; it's supposed Dude, to be gorgeous. So go to New Paltz. New Paltz. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever heard Where's of the that, Dunks? You know? It's it's mm-hmm. only like an hour and a half away from the city, man. Oh, really? Sweet. Yeah, definitely go to New Paltz, um, especially in the fall. But it's uh, there's this area called the Gunks. Um, it's funny because there's a when I used to be a real big rock climber, I had always heard about New Paltz and the Gunks and how amazing this place was. And then our drummer is from there. So we went, you know, the first summer he was with us, we went and spent three days with his folks out there. It's just gorgeous, man. More trees than you will ever see in your entire life. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely have to check that out. So how did you yeah. find how did you find our music? That's a great question. Um how did I find, find their music? My wife's right, right, right here. Um, so I started practicing meditation probably four years ago now. Um, and just kind of goes hand in hand with meditation. They like the music you and Trevor and, and all those, those bands uh, do. It's really something that I try to strive for, just like find um, happiness, you know. And it starts with you. I think um, that was a big, big turn on to, to your music. Um, I think just playing, playing uh, like Spotify, you guys just came up and loved the music and became a fan, followed you. And, and here we are, you know, I yeah. mean, it's really, it's really all I listen to. It's, it's my playlist on Spotify. It's called way of life, you know, just happy, love everybody, you know, um, just kind of how like you guys are kind of the stepping stones of, of how I try to live, honestly. So oh, I it's, love that. yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I just stumbled upon you guys. You know, you guys are great. Thanks man. Yeah. I love that. I had no idea. I mean, I've always known, right. that baseball season is like the longest season in the world, but when you put it into perspective of how many games you guys are playing, I just am like, that just absolutely blows me away. And it, yeah, it's funny because those jobs, right? When people are like, man, professional athletes are oh, so overpaid. And I've always been like, eh, not baseball players. That's a long ass season, dude. <laughs> you know? But, well, yeah, I mean, we are living the dream, right? Like, I, and I heard something, I don't remember who said it, but it was like, athletes always want to be musicians and musicians always want to be athletes. Yeah. Um, and people are always like, oh, they're living the dream, which we are. Like, we have great lives, but like, I don't think people realize how much hate we get like if i have a bad game how much people reach out to tell me that they hate me or the travel like just being away like i missed my best friend's wedding last weekend because like i you know i can't go um 
just stuff like that that kind of makes the season tough. And when you have a bad game, you have to show up the next day and be ready. And you kind of have to just ignore it or, or find peace with it. And it's, it's obviously a great life. I'm not downplaying that. It's just yeah. the other, like we said, the other side of it, it's, it can get tough being away from my wife for half the year almost, you know? Yep. It's yeah. That's the, the side. Yeah. I feel everything that you're saying, man. Cause music is music's very much the same. You know, it's um, I always tell people that when we're on tour, the 90 minutes to 120 minutes that we're playing, it's the greatest feeling in the world. For sure. But it's the other 22 hours that are real rough, you know, because what people don't see is the like, you know, getting back to a hotel at 2 a.m. and then waking up at 7 so we get to the next town on time. Um, tired all of the time. Someone always gets sick on tour. And it's just the same thing. You get to the venue, you unload your shit, you sit around for three hours, you play, you tear it down, you go to the hotel. It's like, right. I'm trying to have, you know, I'm sure this is something you struggle with too, is I'm always, I always have a hard time connecting with my wife back home because I don't know what else to say other than, how was your day? That's you know? so funny, dude. So funny. Because, uh, that's exact. I talk to my parents maybe once a week because they're retired. They're watching my brother's kids. You know, they do the same thing every day. I do the same thing every day and they can watch what I do every day. You know? So it's like, well, what do we have to talk about? You know? Yeah. yeah it's hard. How are you? How was your day? You go over a two minute overlay of what your day was like. And it's like, all right, well, see you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, to exactly. Tomorrow. Yeah. It's so yeah. hard too. Cause my wife doesn't even ask anymore. I mean, there is no, what did you do today? <laughs> Well, I spent the first three quarters of the day driving in a van and then uh, we unloaded our gear into a club and then we sound checked and now I'm talking to you. Yeah. And tomorrow I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's real hard. Um, so talk a bit about your, your meditation practice. Uh, oddly enough, in therapy yesterday, I'm looking at possibly having to have neck surgery. Oh, what's and, wrong? Um, I have... Um, two bulging discs and one is, is real bad. And I thought I had beat it. And, um, you know, I put on 20 pounds of muscle this summer and thought wow. that I was good. And it just kind of in the middle of making this last record, it came back. Um, and it's not terrible like it was before, but it's like enough that I've talked to other athletes that have had the surgery that are like, bro, you're going to wake up from that surgery and just go, Oh, I didn't even know Why that didn't this I do what, this sooner? Yeah, I didn't even know this is what normal <laughs> felt like. Um, but I was talking to my therapist. You know, I'm the kind of guy where, you know, my input is very much um, Jocko and C.T. Fletcher and Gary Vee and these people that are like, I look at productivity as, as uh, more important than almost anything. So for me, we just had this crazy, you know, I was gone for seven days, uh, making a new record, came home. My buddy, Tyler Wombles, who is a, a UFC striking coach, came out with us for three days, taught a clinic. And I just haven't had any alone time, you know, and my wife was like, you know, you should take a nap. And my inner voice goes, most people would take a nap. I'm going to go to the gym. <laughs> so I kind of just go and go and go. But my fear sure. of this, this surgery is, you know, I'm looking at 
probably two months of there, the, you know, there will be no gym, there will be no right. anything. And it's funny because here on my desk, my therapist said, you need to begin practicing mindfulness and rede redefine what productivity could mean. M meaning that, that making a mindfulness practice may be the most productive thing that I could do. Right, for sure. So how did you um, get into meditation and what does that look like? How oh, I know how I got into it. I was golfing with one of my buddies. Um, and I don't remember what we were talking about. Like, I've always loved camping and, and being out in nature and stuff like that. I think that's where we, we, we started talking about it. And he's like, have you, ever, have you ever tried meditating? And I was like, I've thought about it, but no, I don't know where to get started. And he's like, oh, dude, you need to download this app. It's called Headspace. Try it out. And this had to have been... It had to have been like 2015, maybe. Like it, was, it was a while ago. Um, so I went home. Like It's a free app. I think you can get like first 10 days for free or something like that. And they just they have little videos of like how you kind of meditate, you know. Um, and, I, and I was on that for a long time. It's just guided meditation. It just kind of yeah. pops in to tell you like what you need to do. Um, and then I kind of started reading books about it. Um, and it's so funny, like, and it's, I think it's, it's hard for people nowadays because everybody's so busy and when they're not busy, they're on their phones. So like, they don't really see that there's plenty of time to, to do it. And, and I fall victim to that a ton. Like, um, but I, there's such a little change that went such a big way for me. Like I, I, I started doing meditation because I was anxious about baseball. You know, I had just made it to the big leagues at that point. Like, I've worked my whole life to get here. What happens if I can't do it? Like, what happens if I struggle? I get released. Like, I, I didn't really go to college. I went to a junior college. Like, what would I do after? Like, you know, just the, the brain running. Yeah. Um, and meditation really, really helped me with that. It really helped me with just being in the moment, being um, confident in yourself, you know, um, stop worrying about the what ifs. That's, that was one of my big things is like, what if this happens? What if this happens? Well, what if it doesn't, you know? Um, so I think that really helped like my anxiety part of, of it. And then I just started kind of seeking that, I don't like to call it higher consciousness, but like just a higher, happier way of living. I just kind of got addicted to the feeling of just being happy every day. Like I want to be, I want to be happy every day. Like I think, I think it's actually one of Trevor Hall's songs that he says, you, uh, what is it? I can't remember the lyric, but it's basically like, I, I choose to be joyful, I think is what he says, or something mm -hmm. like that. And you can, you can, like we're talking about with like the millionaires that are depressed every day, like you can choose to focus on the bad things or focus on the good things. And I think meditation helped me kind of realize that. Um, I choose to look at the good out of every situation and, um, instead of the bad or what I did wrong or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, um, dude, he is a, he is a, Hey, I always tell people he's exactly who you think he is, Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and him and I are such polar opposites. So I really value our friendship. Um, because I'm a real intense guy you know, mm -hmm. and, and I kind of thrive in the storm and the chaos. And when shit's hitting the fan, I'm like, okay, this is fine. I got this. I got this. I got this. It's just a fight. We're just in a fight here. And I just got to mitigate damage. And 
and I'm going to do fine. And, um, you know, Trevor has been through the ringer as far as the music industry. I mean, he's been fucked by labels, by managers that he thought were friends. And, um, you know, I remember people talking, take advantage of nice guys, you know, it's a hundred percent. You know, I feel, I feel very privileged that everybody in the industry knows, um, uh, how, um, <laughs> how deep MMA is in my life. Uh, I feel like I get fucked with a lot less, <laughs> you know, like there's, <laughs> sure. there's just a level of like, okay, cool. You know, that guy is firm and where he stands and he's probably not going to budge. Um, but Trevor said to me one time, I was just like, bro, cause I had, um, in that, in, in the fall of 2017, we had done all of these tours. Um, and, uh, you know, my dreams were coming true. I thought, but then my drummer quit, my agent dropped me, all of this shit happened in like two weeks. And Jeez. I remember calling him and crying and he's just like, breathe, breathe, you know? And then I was down in Colorado a couple of weeks later and we were talking and I was like, dude, how have you managed to make, um, to make it through all of this shit and still keep going? And he said, no matter what anybody in the outside world does to me, they can't take my creativity and they can't take that indefinable thing that is me, that is inside of me. You can't touch it. You can sue me. You can fuck me over and cut me from a baseball team. You can take my money, but you can't take my spirit, you know? Yep. That's, um, that's kind of how I feel. So, so baseball is very cutthroat as well. So sounds like, like it. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of uh, team manipulation and stuff like that. So, um for me there's a it's 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 a lot but so you when you first made it to the big leagues you have three years of minimum pay and then the next three years you go into a thing called arbitration and every year you get together with your agent and get together with the team and say hey this is who i've kind of compared with and they made this much money we think i should make this much money and the team does the same thing like we compared you to these different people and they're obviously usually less money people and then you kind of come to an agreement three years in a row. Um, but you have to have three years of service time, three full years of service time to get to arbitration. But there's a loophole that if you've made, if you've had two years and enough days, like usually like out of 182, 150 days, you become something called a super two. And which gets you into arbitration a year early but it gives you an extra year of arbitration. So you have four years. So that's kind of confusing. It's, it's, it's confusing. But when I tell you, so what was it? 2016, 17 season, I was having a great year. And um, they send me down for no reason. I, I had sent a AAA. Um, and it makes me miss the full three years by, I think it was two days. Oh, so man. because of those two days, I become a free agent a whole year later. So like they have a whole nother year of cheaper pay um, with me. Was so pissed, obviously. I mean, I was having a great year. Like somebody tweeted out that when I got sent down, it was like left-handed pitchers with this certain strikeout per nine innings, this ERA, um, earned run average. Um, and it was like three of the best lefty pitchers in the league. And then me, 
And then next to it, said so got sent to AAA today. So it's like, I did everything right. I was killing it. And they sent me down for no reason. Um, so there's, there's a bunch of manipulation like that. Um, we had a guy that just got sent down. And sometimes it's just a number crunch thing. Like, yep. there's, a, there's something called options, which when you get put, there's so much that goes up behind the scenes. But when you get put on the 40-man roster, you get better like insurance, you get better pay. Um, but you have to be on the 40 man to get called up to the 25 man roster, which is the big league roster. Yep. Um, but when you get put on the 40 man, you get three options, which is you can be sent down to AAA and still be on the 40 man roster. So once you get those, those three options taken away, they either have to release you or keep you in the big leagues. Um, so there, there's only like two guys on our team with options. Like everybody else is either a free agent or has got rid of all of their options. Um, and he was hitting, he was one of our best hitters, but because nobody else had options, they had to send him down. And it's just like, it's flawed in that way. You know, like this guy is, has been killing it for us, but we had to send him down because I don't remember what the move was, but like somebody came off the DL or, or something like that. So there's a lot of, manipulation to, to save money on the owner's side, which it's a business I get, but like, this is our lives, you know, like everybody that's in the big leagues has worked their entire lives to get here. And just mm -hmm. to be sent down and be your dream taken away for, even if it's just 10 days, like it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And especially like going up and down and especially with like the Yankees, if you have a bad game, you give up a couple of runs, you're, you're most likely getting sent down after the game. So, it's, it's hard to perform I can't when imagine. you're constantly like waiting for somebody to come get you to send, tell you you're going to triple a. Um, so Dude, yeah, I get it. It's, it's so wild, you know, cause I myself am a, you know, I believe in uh, regulated capitalism. You know, I think it makes people strive to be great. I think it, mm -hmm. you know, that competition is an important part of the market. Right. Um, but you see the way that people, take advantage of it in all industries, you know, and um, being so involved in MMA, man, I just, uh, it breaks my heart. Some of these fighters, you know, I just had a friend fight that was like, because how, how MMA works uh, in the big shows, um, maybe not Bellator, but in UFC, it's here's your show pay. And if you win, you get twice as much money. Right. Um, and no doubt, dude, if you're on the prelims and you lose in the UFC, you're probably, you're probably out. And it's real hard I, to get back in once you've been out. I was going to say, I can't imagine, like, especially for those guys, like they train and train and train for months, years yep. for one fight. Yep. You make and, one mistake. And it's such, a, it's such an explosive thing because you can be doing everything right and get caught. You know, you get caught. And it's over. Yep. And... I had a friend, thank God he won his fight, but he was like, I don't know if I'll be able to keep my home uh, if I don't win. He's got two kids at home and a wife. And he's like, dude, if I, you know, if I don't win, not only will I probably not be able to keep my home, but I'll, I'm going to get cut. No doubt. Yeah. yeah and, that's... Um, and, you know, the one thing that's real hard too in mixed martial arts is this window. You really have 20 at the, on the earliest end and 35 you know like yep. there's your 15 that's kind years of baseball too 
totally, yeah. especially I would imagine as a pitcher. Yeah, yeah. Um, to, to, go, to, to go back to what Trevor said, I've always, I always say there's only two things you can control, your attitude and your work ethic. You know, everything else is out of your control. Yeah, so, um, so like when I got sent down, what can I control? My attitude, my work ethic. I'm, I'm in the gym the next day. I'm trying to have a positive attitude. I, I'm, you know, meditating to kind of just make peace with it or, or um, kind of forget about it because the next day I got to pitch. If I get sent down and I'm worried about me not being in the big leagues and I start to pitch bad, looks just like I'm staying worse. there for a while, you know? Yep. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's, what kind of stuff it's tough. do you and in do the minor you... leagues? Go ahead. The, the minor leagues is brutal, man. I don't think people realize how, how little you get paid. Uh, yeah. When I was in the minor leagues, I was in the minor leagues for four years. Um, one year I cleared like, not even cleared, made like $6,800 for the whole year. Whoa. Like you're, making, you're making like $400 after taxes a paycheck and stuff like that. Like in, when I was in low A in rookie ball, I was living in rookie ball. I lived in a two bedroom apartment with five guys. And then in low A, which is the next level up, I lived in a two bedroom house with five guys because you can't, I mean, you can't live on that, that much money, you know? Um, and then just the grind of bad food, uh, yep. long travel nights, you know, like on a bus. I mean, you're familiar with buses, but like on a bus for so long, waking up the next, like getting in, playing a night game at seven, game ends at 10, 1030 maybe. Then you have a, a six hour, seven hour bus ride to wherever. And then you get in at four or 5 a.m. You have to wake up at noon and be at the field the next day, ready to perform at your highest level you can. And it's like, I got four hours of sleep. I was on a bus for that. I barely ate, you know, like my body got no recovery time. Yep. And then I'm getting paid $400 every yeah. two weeks, you know, like it's brutal, man. Well, um, and that, again, that's to, to go back to, you know, people on the outside, you know, thinking they have some sort of concept of what strangers deserve. Um, you know, most people think that professional sports goes, okay, cool. You're doing good, bro. Uh, now you're done with college. Here's your contract. Now you're rich. You know, most people right. think that that is the path. Um, and same thing with music, you know, it's, um, something I've struggled with. I'm not rich by any means, but I'm, uh, you know, I make enough to take care of my family. And, you know, to me, I grew up, uh, not having much, you know, and I mean, I did many, many winters mm -hmm. in Chicago without heat. And, um, I think all of the time of like, for me, I'm as successful as I can imagine. I, when I go to the grocery store, I don't think about what things cost. I just get what I want. Um, to me, right. that is like, you know, the ultimate level of success. <laughs> like, I'm not budgeting what I'm putting in my body. I just put in what I know is good for it. And it's that, um, you know, I, I wish people had a little more insight into um, what you just shared. And, you know, me doing tours where I was away from home for fucking six weeks and I get home and go, okay, cool. I have $800. And I was just gone for six weeks. And now I have to do this, this, and this to the van. So now I have $400. Ouch. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. And I think, 
I think people get that perception because that's all they hear about in sports. You know, like on ESPN, you hear about the first pick overall that just signed a $40 million deal. Mm-hmm. You don't hear about the guy that went to the Canadian league to just try to play longer and get picked up. And, you know, actually there was a story about some guy that was trying out for one of the NFL teams that was living out of his car a couple years ago. You remember that? Yep. Like, so like, it's, it's hard to, it's hard. People don't want to talk about the little guy. They want to talk about the guy that's going to make everybody money. Yep. So it's like, yeah, it's hard to, hard to see the other side of it for sure. Well, as far as um, long, how old are you? I'm 30. So as far as longevity, what, what's some stuff that you do for your body to just, um, yeah, to keep it rolling? Stay ready. Um, a lot of massage, whether, whether it's rolling out on a, a foam roller or getting a lacrosse ball in to, to dig out my shoulder or stuff like that, a lot of stretching. Um, funny story is I was with the Yankees in 16, and we were in spring training, and Russell Wilson – came to our camp and like played a couple games. He used to play baseball. He got drafted. Um, no shit. I was actually, yeah, he played for the Rockies. I was actually his last AB, professional AB. So I faced him in Asheville, North Carolina in 2013 or something like that. He, I, he faced me for his last at bat of his professional career, which I thought was pretty cool. That is um, awesome. <laughs> yeah. But so he came in and was just with the guys for a couple of days with us and I was sitting down having, having lunch with him and, and somebody else. And I was like, dude, I just got to ask, like, you're not that big of a guy. Like he's not that big when you think of like a normal football player. Mm-hmm. I was like, how do you basically get hit by trucks every Sunday and be able to stay healthy? And he's like, dude, right after the game on Sunday, before we say we're on the road and we touch down in Seattle, I have drank two gallons of water. He's like, that's it. The next day I wake up and I feel phenomenal. And I was like, water? Like, that, that's, your, that's your secret, you know? So I kind of took it to heart. So in spring training, when you're kind of getting built up to be game ready, like, you can throw in off season and try to throw your hardest. But once you get into that game, it's just a, it's another level that you can never touch. So, like, I get very, very sore in spring training. Yep. Um, so I was like, all right, let me try it. And I started just drinking as much water as I possibly could. And it was night and day. It was night and day of how much better I felt. Like I'd wake up, no soreness, no nothing. And I was like, it was like an epiphany. And that's all I, I, I try to drink as much water as I possibly can throughout the day. Yeah, buddy. Um, Dude, I have a really small um, bladder. And uh, it's funny, you know, I, uh, uh, when Wombles was just out here, he's like, hey, man. Uh, I know that, you know, cause I was 150 pounds, um, in February and I got up to 185 and now I'm back to 170. And he was like, yeah, man, I noticed you don't drink very much water. And I'm like, dude, I drink a 32 ounce Nalgene a day. And he's like, yeah, I know you <laughs> need to be drinking more way more water, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I just have such a small bladder. I've always heard people say that, but dude, if I drink a gallon of water, I'm peeing every five minutes. And you, and you do, I mean, but it's kind of like flushing out your system, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that honestly really helped me like this year, especially I'm usually like, Oh, I throw one inning and I'm done type of reliever this year. I've been throwing two, three innings, which when you're not used to can crush you, you know, I mean, you're so sore. 
And that's all I've been doing is just trying to crush as much water as possible. That's really helped. Um, and not to mention just overall health. It's just super healthy for you, you know? Um, and then, um, what else do I do? There's a guy in Vegas that I see that is just kind of just a wizard with the body. Like I went in for, you know, I mean, being a pitcher, your shoulder hurts, your elbow hurts. So I went in for my elbow. Uh, my agent actually got in contact with him. Um, he's like, okay, well, why does your elbow hurt? Maybe it's because your external rotation is bad. Let's check your shoulder out. And then, oh, why is your external rotation bad? Is it your, is, are your hips tight? And like, he works on the whole chain. Um, so now like when my elbow's hurting, I, I'm stretching my hips, you know, like, yeah. it's, it's all connected. Um, yeah, my wife's so real into that. I don't, I definitely don't do enough of anything except lifting weights and fighting. I don't, I don't do I'm, enough upkeep. Do yeah. Well, I feel like there's a lot of stretching, stretching and fighting, isn't there? You gotta be flexible, right? Yeah, dude. But I just don't do it unless I'm doing it. You know what I mean? I don't, like, yeah. I, sh I should have a daily <laughs> yoga sure. practice, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. Right. Sometimes when I'm, especially when I'm doing jujitsu, it like blows my mind how flexible I am, but then I'll like, you know, go to do a stretch and I'm like, Oh shit, I can't do that. I don't know how, if you ever get, yeah. get into yoga at all, but I'm always amazed, you know, that like at the height of, of my lifting this summer, I was bench pressing 205 but I would still do a mm -hmm. yoga practice and find myself in poses where my arms are out. And I'm like, how come I can't hold my arms up? You know, like what the hell? Absolutely, dude. Yeah. Me and my, my so my brother uh, played professional. He never, he never made it to the big leagues, but we would train together in the off season and we would be doing yoga and we would like be looking at each other like, Oh, this is so hard. And then we look over at a girl just like, do, 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 you know, 110 like, it's, pounds. <laughs> like it's nothing. Yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah, it's, I mean, so it's crazy that you're uh, a relief pitcher because when I was a kid, that was always what I wanted to be. Oh yeah. Um, I couldn't throw uh, curves or anything, mm -hmm. and I couldn't hit, but I could throw the ball really, really hard. There and, you go. And I remember in like in middle school, I had a coach that was like, "Cool, man, well you're a relief pitcher." And I was just like, all right, at least I got a job. You know what I mean? Like, at least yeah. I'm not the dude on the team that hits shitty. I'm not even expected to hit anymore. <laughs> and I would just like, I always, uh, you know, I was a, uh, aside from, you know, his personality, I thought John Rocker was just like the coolest, you know? The man. Was, yeah. yeah, I yeah. was just like, all right, dude, he just sits in the, in the dugout and chews Copenhagen until it's time to go throw that ball 105, <laughs> you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's, I compare it a lot to, uh, NFL kicker. So mm -hmm. like when relievers come in, they're expected to throw a score inning and get out. You know, when a kicker comes in, he's expected to make the kick and get out. And when you don't do that, it's like the worst thing in the world. You know, when you give up a couple runs, everybody's just like, you only have to throw one inning. Like, come on, like what's wrong with you? You know, you only have to make that one kick. It's like, you're only, a, you're never appreciated because it's expected. Yep. And there's only the, the, the downfall of it. Um, I've always said that, but that makes a, a lot, lot of sense, man. Yeah. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of pressure for sure. But So how do you – do you find out if you're playing – like do you know what games you're pitching in advance? No, that's the thing. So like you're literally sitting in the, in the bullpen. Starter, usually starter goes like four to seven mm -hmm. innings. Um, you kind of decide like – you kind of see where the game's going. You can have an idea. But like it's literally the phone rings, Shreve, get up. You 
throw for about two, three minutes, you're in the game. That's, that's when you find out. Like, yeah, it's, it's two, three minutes before you go in. Yeah. So, yeah, I got, you know, it's not, it's not bad. You know, I really just have, like, my stretch routine that I, that I do every, like, fourth inning or, or whatever just to just stay ready. So, it's like I'm ready every day, and a third of the days I pitch. Yeah, that's wild. I always wondered how that works. Dude, what a yeah. wild life you have. <laughs> I never knew that baseball <laughs> was so nuts, man. Yeah, yeah, it's oh. pretty crazy. Well, um, yeah, dude, I have some standard questions that I ask everybody on the podcast. Okay. Um, and we'll do those, and then I'll cut you loose, dude. Cool. Um, what was the first record or song that made you cry? Oh, it's um, Follow Me by Uncle Cracker. Do you know that song? Mm-hmm. Um, my, my dog had just been hit by a car and I remember, and she died and the, the next morning I, I was just like really sad, put my headphones in and that song came out and I just bawled to it for some reason. Um, really random, but that's, that's definitely the first song I cried to for sure. Love it. What is your go-to song if you are like need to get hyped up or like, Hmm. I would say Coming Undone by Korn. All across the board. I was a I was yeah, I was a I was a big Korn fan growing up. I used to skateboard. Same. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was a big skateboarder. What are your uh what are your three favorite records right now or artists? Records right now, man. I'm trying to think. What have I been listening to? Yeah, I mean, you, Trevor Hall, and Nanko are using my three on repeat. So, um, yeah. uh, I love it. That's, yeah, for sure. Well, dude, I appreciate you taking time uh, to chat and let's um, let's definitely stay in touch. And um, for sure, I had a blast, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, dude. Well, uh, big love to you and your wife. And hopefully we'll see you guys at a show soon. Um, if you guys see a show you want to come to, hit me up, man. We'll get you on the list. And I will. We'll, Same if we'll you want to come to a game. If you want to come Deal. to a game, let me know. All right, For brother. sure, bro. It was a pleasure. Take, Thanks, man. Yeah, take All right, guys. Hope you dug that. Um, next week on the podcast, we have, I say this a lot, but literally one of the baddest human beings to ever walk the face of the earth uh, and one of the most intelligent cats ever green beret ufc fighter uh owner of sheepdog response legend dude literally was on rogan two weeks ago i can't even believe he agreed to come on the podcast but i really want you guys to hear from him tim kennedy cannot believe that he said yes and i'm uh, beyond excited i've never been this pumped for a podcast um he uh makes a very strong case for civility and against extremism and i uh, i think it's something we need to hear uh i also previously always had really strong opinions on what i thought the military uh spending should look like and uh yeah it's a, it's a bit different when you hear it from a green beret um So yeah, I'm really excited, and uh, yeah, get ready for next week, and make sure you put your fucking seatbelt on, because I'm sure it's going to get pretty intense, but um, yeah, we'll hear from you guys next, well, rather, you'll hear from me next week. Be well, drink water, peace.